If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Aaron and Matthew Miller. It is good to be with you tonight. Boy, have we got some bambastic biblification for you tonight. This program is uh, going to really throttle your faith, shall we say. We're going to take a very extreme look at, well, both the angelic and the celestial. A couple of different ways to put that, but in the greater scheme of things, oh my goodness, we're going to, well, throttle the imagination, throttle the prophetic, the literal. We're just going to come at this full throttle, baby. So Aaron, why don't you come on here with your opening comments and introduction to the topic at hand, please. So um, we know the uh, the archangels from uh, the Bible. Um, the word archangel is used twice in the scriptures, but um, uh, as we know from uh, Revelation chapter eight verse two, there are seven seven that bear the trumpets of the apocalypse. So um, this is reinforced by the Book of Enoch and. Uh, the Book of Enoch uh, names uh, all seven of them, and um, well, it's very mysterious about the one seventh of them, of a certain seventh of them, and uh, we're going to cover that. We're going to um, cover the topic of all seven of these archangels and their mysteries, because um, Enoch chapter twenty is very descriptive about them, so. I'm going to see talk about what what these archangels have to do with the book of Enoch and in the scripture. So, um uh I'll just go verse by verse with Enoch, Enoch chapter 20 and it's and it begins with these are the angels of the armies. Most translations would say the hosts. Uh but um Armies is a better trans- modern translation for the word hosts of heaven. So this is telling you that these are the angels over the hosts or armies of God. Um, so here you go uh, to verse 2. It says, Uriel, one of the holy angels who is over the world, and Tartarus. Okay, so... um. How do you interpret that over the world in Tartarus? I think I think each of the uh, seven archangels are over one of the seven heavens. I do believe that there are seven heavens. This is um, uh, we know that there are at least three, as First um, Corinthians. Let me find it here. As Second Corinthians twelve verses two to four says, there's a third heaven. There's at least three, but um, you go anywhere around the world, there are um, believed seven heavens, and I believe that there's an archangel for each of these. Um, and I also believe uh, that there is a planet represented for each of these archangels, but we're um, going to get that 
get to that soon. Okay. So, um, if I were to say anything, I would say Uriel is over the lowest heaven, the one closest to Earth, or the, um, the physical realm as we know it. Um, uh, any of your comments on this? No, that's a pretty good theory that you're drawing lines with there. That's uh, so far, it's it's pretty good. Uh, we'd also discussed behind the scenes. We don't need to get into it too deeply right now, but also the correlation with there being seven different well types of Earths, shall we say, and this being represented as the the core or the lowest one. But really, don't have time to talk about that. But that would definitely make for a good. Uh, supplemental program to this one that there's seven planets, there's seven heavens, and there's also seven well compartments to the Earth. I guess uh, you would say. So please continue. Well, Tartarus, um, according to Second Peter chapter two verse four, um, is the place where the angels are imprisoned. Um, Revelation chapter nine verse one calls it the pit of the abyss or the bottomless pit. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it's simply just called the pit. Tartarus, um, if any of you are familiar with Greek mythology, is um, the place where the titans were trapped. Many translations, most translations give the translation for this word as hell, but that's a huge confusion that um, there are not humans trapped in Tartarus. This is another section of the underworld. Um, so specifically, Tartarus is the place for the abyss. And as for Job's, uh, well, sorry, uh, um, as for Uriel's place in the Bible, we're going to have to go back and forth between the Hebrew and the Septuagint. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Bible, which predates the Masoretic text or the Hebrew Bible we have today, actually. So um, we're going to open that up. Okay, so um, just so you know, Uriel means light of God. So, um, okay, um, this appears in Job chapter 41, verses 32 to 33. Um Job chapter 41, in context, is talking about um, the the dragon, the Leviathan. And um, Leviathan is represented by a coalition of um, uh, the seven uh, fallen angels. It can mean the red dragon, Satan, but it can also mean the beast from the sea or the beast from the abyss of Revelation. Um it, it, the Bible is very clear that there's two Leviathans. The the um, Le, uh, Isaiah chapter 26, 27 verse 1 says that there's a fleeing serpent and the crooked serpent. Um, and uh, so there are two. But this one, we are going to think that uh, we, as we know that the Leviathan, that the red dragon Satan, is not in Tartarus, we're going to have to consider we're going to have to say that this Leviathan is going is going to be uh, Azazel, the um, beast from the sea, who is now trapped in there. He is Azazel, the leader of the fallen angels. Okay. Um, and this is what it says about Leviathan. It says he makes I'll open up the uh, W-E-B. He, he makes a path shine after him. One would think the deep to have white hair. On earth is not his equal that is made without fear. So um, he says he makes a path to shine after him. The, the name Uri or uh, for Uriel is encoded in there. So um, uh, how would you interpret that? Well, to be no doubt, you're you're reinforcing what the Book of Enoch said. The simple fact that uh, you made correlations that this is where uh, this beast, uh, this 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 serpent, 
his abode is, so naturally God would encode his name right there, the angel, the archangel, over him as they just made um, you know, that 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 statement, uh, you know, going back to what uh well what the Septuagint said in verse thirty three. Of course it would encode in here what his archangel is that would be making sport of him. I mean, verse 33 uh, from the Thompson. Upon the earth there is not his fellow made to be insulted uh, only by my angels. Would naturally, he would encode to you what his angel is, uh, who the angel is in charge of him. So you're following suit. It's making prophetic sense. It's It's making prophetic sense as to why God would do that. So... Uh, this is just reinforcing what Enoch had already stated about the matter. So to me, it makes sense. Of course, that's what Job would do. Back to you. Well, um, for the Septuagint, it says something completely different. It says, he regards Tartarus of the Abyss as a captive, considers the, the Abyss for ranging. And then the next verse, there is none upon the earth like him, made to be mocked beneath my angels. This is my personal translation, because I couldn't find any that actually translated the word Tartarus. So I went ahead and translated both verses from the Septuagint. Um, so, uh, so this is how we know, this is the correlation of uh, the Book of Enoch to... The scriptures is right here. Matter of fact, I mean, I will go one step further. I will say that here Job is absolutely alluding uh, to uh, – well, there's no way around it. Job here is alluding to the book of Enoch. Um, I mean, let's – this is a very difficult translation in the Greek, but, but literally uh, you said that the Britons or the Thompsons – one of them says range, uh, the other one says parade, but really the – I guess the only way we can translate that in today's language is stomping grounds. And the lowest part of the deep as a captive, he reckons the deep as his stomping ground. I, I guess that would be the uh, the best way to translate that. But there is nothing like him – what, where, on earth, formed to be mocked by my angels or sported or – like your translators said, mocked. That's another good word. So it would look. He just stated that he is the apex of creation as far as beasts are are concerned. Literally saying the only thing that can mock him is his angels. Like I said, it follows suit that God would encode in the verses the name of his archangel that has dominion over him. That being. Uriel. Case in point. I mean, there's no way around it. Job, in chapter 41, verses 32 and 33, is at least alluding to, if not to be considered, at least an indirect quote from the book of Enoch. Back to you. Well, we'll move on to uh, the next one. The next one on the list is Raphael. Um uh, Raphael appears in the Catholic Bible um, and uh, many Orthodox Bibles in the Book of Tobit, which appears – so that's also found in the Septuagint, but not in our Hebrew Bibles. Um, here it says, Raphael, one of the holy angels who is over the spirits of men. So – the name Raphael means healer of God or a physician. And you're going to see that with, with his job description, with what he, what, what is he, uh, um, what he does. And, um, here I'll, I'll just, I'll just describe to you what happens in the book of Tobit. He heals Tobit of his blindness. He heals his son, um, and his, son's future wife of their broken spirits. So then he goes into a, um, a group of people, you know, uh, undergoing depression and um, hardship. 
and he binds a demon as the demon as Modius hand and foot for harming Sarah. Well, for harming Sarah's uh okay. So I guess I might as well go go ahead and describe the story. Um Tobit's son Tobias um was going to marry this this uh woman uh Sarah. Sarah had been married to seven men, but each of them had been murdered by this demon Asmodeus. So, um and I almost have reason to believe that um Asmodeus might have had a part to do with Tobit's um hardship of um with uh with his life. But I'm not I guess that's for another story, but here, here, what he sees, he's he's coming. What we see is he's coming into life, healing, and dealing with whoever is the problem. He binds this demon, and the exact same thing happens in the book of Enoch. In the book of Enoch, um, he is told to bind Azael or Azazel hand and foot, as Enoch chapter ten verse four, and to heal the earth from what Azazel had done to it. That's verse seven. Um, so, literally, he's, he takes care of the problem, pretty much. And, um, before I let you come in, I'm, I'm gonna, um, point out an interesting thing. Uh, a name for, in the Hebrew Bible for the, for the giants, the Nephilim, is the Rephaim, which bears the same, bears ironically has the name Rafa in it or healer. So could be named after this Raphael. Anyway, so what's your thoughts? Well, even though you haven't given any direct references to uh, the Bible, God's holy word, it being in the extra biblical text, I put it, uh, those texts that you mentioned, uh, the book of uh, Tobit on an equal par with the book of Enoch, but, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I've stated this many times. I stand on this simple fact that the canon is a mechanical marvel. And just because texts were not included into it, obviously uh, those found in the Catholic Bible, uh, I would put on the same par as the Book of Enoch itself. Uh, but for mechanical reasons, there's only 66 books in our canon. There's a reason for that. The same reason that there's 66 chapters in Isaiah. Same reason. So, um, with that in mind, uh, just take that to heart, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, even though it's not in our canon, it is to be considered. And a little, and we would consider it even more than Enoch, technically, because it's actually in the Septuagint. Right. Now, Remember that we're really talking about these things because of biblical mechanics. Ladies and gentlemen, you can literally take uh, the New Testament and wrap it with the swaddling clothes of the Old Testament. When you do that, the chapter numbers line up, and you're able to uh, uh, expand the chapters by even uh, implementing the uh, synoptic wrap. But literally speaking, we're talking about how the Bible is designed mechanically. So when you do that, even uh, with the chapter wraps, you obviously cannot include uh, any books that are outside that 66. So that's the only uh, thing where these extra biblical, well, extra canonical uh, books uh, really fall short, is they can't be included in the biblical mechanics. However, that does not imply they are not the truth. It's just they cannot be. Uh, utilized for the biblical mechanics portion. Back to you, Aaron. The only thing that I could find about anything that could refer to Raphael in the Holy Scriptures, um, but I'm sure I might be missing something, is Exodus 15, verse 26. And it says, And he said, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and will do that which is right in his eyes, and will pay attention to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, as which I have put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Here we have a case in point. You are exactly describing the events with the book of Tobit. 
the quick listener would have quickly understood that uh, what that verse is implying here that uh, the demons uh, were going to be sent to afflict the Egyptians and that this archangel, Raphael, would be implemented to make sure that there was a crossover between the Egyptians and the Hebrews that were in their midst. Okay, so here we have it again. This could is most certainly an illusion to the Book of Enoch, if not an indirect quote. There's no way around that. Uh, that just stands. I mean, you're literally, the verse is describing the exact same set of circumstances, exact same um, implementation or utilization by God of this archangel. So, once again, uh, this is obviously uh, reinforcing one and the other. They're, they're just propping each other up. So, back to you, Aaron. So, then we move on to the next angel. His name is Raguel. Um, this is what Enoch says. Raguel, one of the holy angel, angels who takes vengeance in the world of the lights. I didn't know how to translate this. Yeah, this is my translation. I didn't know how to translate this word, lights, because it could mean luminaries, as in heavenly bodies or stars but but I don't know it, it it literally says he takes vengeance in the world of lights and I guess in Enoch 23 uh, it, it he describes something about a western fire that persecutes the lights or luminaries I'm gonna just gonna go ahead and Read Enoch 23. From there I traveled to another place towards the west, at the ends of the earth, and I saw a fire running constantly that did not rest, nor lacked in its course. Day and night it continued at the same time. And I asked, saying, What is this which does not have rest? Then answered me Raguel, one of the holy angels who was with me. This... This course of fire towards the western fire is persecuting the, all the lights of heaven. How do you interpret that? Is this talking about something going on in the, in the heavenly realms? Is this something going on in outer space? I, I didn't I didn't know how to translate this because I I didn't understand what was going on. Well, for one, it's most certainly. I would say above our pay grade, but we know West is where the sun goes down, correct? I would literally say that he, this is – boy, I'm about ready to really throttle everybody now. I would have to say that this is the portion of the sky that it is opposite of the galactic core, that place being in the area of Orion or the sign of the strike, biblically speaking. So, if you look into the heavens, uh, the exact opposite portion of the heavens to the galactic core. However, I'm only making reference to the direction involved, why he would say west, and why that fire is in the west, and why it... Well, I've said enough. Outside of that, I believe it to be above our pay grade. However, I do not question what was said, no more than I question uh, Psalm uh, 23 uh, when I was seven years old. Now, I for certainly did not understand it at the time, but I believed it. And I'm going to say the same thing about this text, that even though it may <laughs> be delivering information that is way beyond our pay grade, Nonetheless, I believe it, and it stands. And that is all I will say about the matter. He is describing what is opposite in the heavens to the galactic core. That is all I will say. Now, he might also be talking about our trajectory in the heavens. Please know and understand this, ladies and gentlemen. We are not static in the heavens we are traveling, the solar system is. We are going toward the star Vega. 
we are coming from the star Sirius. Now, that's all I will say. That this also may be perhaps what is implied, where we are coming from. So, or where we're going to, one or the other. Now, if it implies that it's where we're going to because you know that the sun rises in the east, that's the beginning, the end is when the sun sets. It would be prophetically referring to Vega in this instance. And of course, the luminaries are terrified of that because they know their time is short. They will serve their purpose. But once we enter in the kingdom of heaven, they will have outlived their usefulness. So what it is prophetically saying beyond any shadow of a doubt, that they fear the end time. So, Aaron, with that in mind, I've tried to, to lightly discuss that as, as is properly done publicly. Uh, but you and I need to talk about this a whole lot more privately uh, before we cross this threshold. I wasn't expecting you to go there. I wasn't expecting you to start reading from Enoch uh, in other places other than chapter 20 uh, that we discussed about before. So at any rate, I have given uh, everyone something to gnaw on, uh, something to get their gears turning. Uh, but it is suffice enough for me to say I believe it. Perhaps it's above my pay grade. It is beyond my reckoning. That is irrelevant. I do believe the text at hand. Aaron, back to you. So what got me is that it says he takes vengeance on them. And it says this fire is persecuting. What It just doesn't – it's so confusing to me. It sounds ethereal, I guess. It must be something in, in – in the otherworldly realms, it must be something in the heavenly realms I don't understand. But um, Well, here, let me help you just a little bit. You know that the Lord, your God, calls them flames of fire, correct? Yes. Well, then no one understands this. He's obviously dealing with something that is a, akin to what will happen to the children of the promise, those who have been taken to a place prepared for them by God. Somehow there is a positive flame and a negative fire. The fire obviously referred to here is an antipode to the fire they're made of. It's kind of a negative and a positive thing. Now, we know there's a whopping big difference between, well, regular charge and static charge. No doubt about it. One is caused simply by friction. So, with that in mind, Aaron, it's just above our pay grade, but he certainly is telling you something. Back to you. Well, as to his appearance in the scriptures, um, his name in Hebrew, I believe, is Haraguel. It is actually, um, start begins with a hey, uh, Haraguel. And um, that means the slayer of God or God's executioner. And that comes from um, Ezekiel chapter 9 when it says, it describes the seven archangels coming to execute the ones whom, well, well it says one of them dressed in, one of these seven archangels um, dressed in linen goes and seals um, all God's people and then um uh, to everyone else, the other six, he is told they're told to utterly slay. Well, I'm going to go to verse six. Slay utterly the old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near to any man upon whom the mark, ha, whom has the mark, and begin at my sanctuary, and then begin at the ancient men which were before the house. So, um. This is something prophetic, but here the word slay utterly, um, the word slay is uh, haragu, where this angel name, this angel's name comes from. So he has something a little to do with vengeance here, too. 
Absolutely. Uh, once again, what you're doing is, is you're taking what Enoch has given to us, and uh, look, there is no doubt about it. The verses in question is obviously referring, if not indirectly quoting, the book of Enoch, chapter 20. You just have to accept it. So, I absolutely agree. Back to you. Moving on to, um, well, next on the list, uh, verse 5 of chapter 20, Michael, one of the holy angels over the good, the, this is what it exactly says, Michael, one of the holy angels over the people appointed for good things and over the chaos. Okay, so, um... Well, Michael is the most famous angel in history. Um, well, we know because it was he who cast out or will challenge Satan's armies uh, himself, as Revelation chapter 12 describes. Um, well, he is in both the New and Old Testament. Um well, I guess I'm going to I'm going to start with Well, okay, I'm just going to interpret what it says. It says over he's over the people appointed for good things. Well, um Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 he says he refers to the children of that he stands for the children of Israel. Well, we know that those are the people appointed for good things. Correct. And another, and another thing that he is over is this chaos. This is such a weird word in the Book of Enoch, but I think chaos is the Book of Enoch's word for Gehenna or the Lake of Fire. I'm going to say this because um, it is mentioned in uh, Enoch chapter 10, verse 13. I'll go right there. I'm going to start from verse 12. And when their sons have been slaughtered by each other, and they see the destruction of their beloved, then bind them for 70 generations in the valleys of the earth until the day of their judgment and the day together until the end, the eternal judgment of the world. Then they will be taken away to the chaos of fire to be in torment and in the prison to be shut up forever. Okay, so it says, for 70 generations bound in the earth, that is Tartarus, then they'll be taken away to the chaos of fire. This is what makes me think that this chaos is um, the lake of fire of the last days. This is the second death. But Enoch calls it uh, the chaos, and that is a... Uh, it literally means to gape. Um, so, it means something a little different than, I don't know if it means something a little different than what it, what it means to in our language, but that's what the literal word in Greek says is chaos. I don't know if it means the same thing or what, but what are your thoughts? Well, it's from these verses that uh, you could also say the reason why it says that he is over chaos, that could possibly – well, I think that it does infer this aspect to negative and positive charge somehow that we are literally – well, it's literally saying that the positive is over the negative. The North Pole is over the South Pole. The positive pole is over the negative pole. I literally think this is what he's talking about um, when this happens. Literally, those that are taken to a place that's been prepared for them by God uh, after this war in heaven. Uh, of course, the archangels are freed up. They're no longer busy because they cannot be two places at one time. Once this war with Satan is over, we're taken to this place. And literally, I believe that this is uh, why those in the outer darkness cannot die. Death flees from them. We are literally somehow 
physically sucking the life from them. So I think this is exactly another instance of this this usage with the nog, uh, with the negative and positive poles of a magnet. I think this is why it states emphatically here that he is over. Well, the chaos literally is 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 what it says. So this makes absolute sense to me that they would add this this part and over chaos. Um, it's trying to tell you that. In every way, shape, or form, this is what Revelation chapter 12 depicts, is that, uh, well, Michael's the good guy, and Satan is the bad guy. In every way, shape, and form, he is over, the other is under. Uh, he's positive, the other's negative. It seems like, to me, this is the action taking place, and this is magnified right here in these verses. So back to you, Aaron. Well, he is... Uh, Michael is mentioned in other places in the scriptures. Uh, would you like me to go into that? or I don't think uh, we need to do that for time considerations. We have plenty more to cover. And as you already stated, Michael is the most famous archangel in history, period. So I don't think we need to dwell too much on that case. But if you would like to do so, you may. I think we should move on. We're already half, more than halfway through. Um, the next one is Sariel. This is what it says of him. Sariel, one of the holy angels over the spirits who sin by the spirit. Okay. In the scriptures, this is something off, often said, sin in the spirit. But no, this text says by the spirit. So this is something different. Um, I don't know exactly how you want to interpret that, but let's go into what the scripture says about this angel's name. This angel's name, unlike the others, his name is directly in the scriptures, but it must be translated rather than transliterated as a name because it's used like you're like dad, your name is Matthew. If I were to, um, I I say, um, our dog Kit is a gift from God. Your name means gift from God. I can't translate that Kit is Matthew, can I? But your name is there if I were to say it in Greek. That's correct. That name would literally be there. And that's what the deal is. Serial's name is directly encoded um, uh, um, in in those scriptures um, in Isaiah chapter forty three verse ten and uh, forty four verse ten, and I'm going to read both of them. Now I took a lot of time trying to figure out, figure out the origin of this name, Serial, but I came to the conclusion that the Hebrew name Hebrew original said. Sariel it has it has that um, TZ sound um, letter that the Greek didn't have, so the Greek replaced it with a sigma or an S sound. So um, uh, Sariel was is what his actual name is. Is it means it means formed by God. So this is what this what um, the verse says Isaiah chapter forty three verse ten. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, with my servant whom I have chosen, you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor is there there be any after me. So right there where it says no God formed. That's where his name is. And if you were to look at that in the Hebrew Masoretic text, you will see that his name is right there. You can read it. <laughs> And um, in chapter 44, verse 10, is the second place. Who has fashioned a god or molds an image that is profitable for nothing? So this one is an even more riddling thing. I don't know if we have talked about uh, this before on any other Christian conspiracy the theory, but it says... Um, profitable for nothing is encoded the name Belial. 
Belial is um, uh, a certain angel in um, a certain evil angel mentioned in the um, in the Bible, who is contrasted by, from Christ Himself in Second uh, Corinthians chapter six. Um, so um, I believe that this Belial is also um, comparable to his name comes from. Baal or Baal or however you want to say his name, um, he is uh, very well known for, uh, as as we see with this first, is fashioning uh, an image. So if we were to say anything, our conclusion is he is this angel is the angel of the second commandment. That's how I put it. Well, I. Uh... You bring a part that's hard to argue. I mean, you opened up with the opening that that was conjecture. You think that, uh, well, in English we usually say that that sound, and especially names like um, the Hebraic form of the last name Shane is spelt T-T-S. So uh, we just have to understand that, uh, well, this is conjecture, and you stated that at the beginning – and I think we'll just let that lie where it is, that sometimes it's above our pay grade, and sometimes God don't want us to know things for a reason. That being said, back to you, Aaron. Well, for extra content, I think he may also be that strange hornet that God sent against the Canaanites. Um, this is mentioned in Exodus 23, verse 28, Deuteronomy 7, verse 20, Joshua 24, verse 12. Um, it is in the Strong's Concordance, H680, um, and it is Tzira. So I think that this is actually, because it has the Tsar part in it, it might actually be Sariel, just with the L taken off of it, and um, we're not really talking about a hornet. This is actually this archangel sent to um, punish the Canaanites for their idolatry. Now you've got some meat. Now you've given us some meat to go with. I would disagree with you. Absolutely would I disagree with you. It sounds like to me that he himself didn't go. Uh, he sent his, well, as you stated, armies. Therefore, we will use modern language. He sent his soldiers to do that, hence the plural form. Uh, well, no, really, it's actually not plural in Hebrew. Well, that's what I'm trying to say, is that he would have sent one of his soldiers if this had been multiple occasions or multiple locations. It would have been in a plural form. Hence, he wouldn't have said uh, it was particularly this angel, even though prophetically that's exactly what he was saying. That's exactly what he was saying, uh, but uh, we both know this would be the case, uh, that uh, this being an archangel, he would have many angels underneath him. Uh, it just makes absolute sense, but um, I am glad that you add that extra meat to give me something to bite onto because that's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to mention it because you didn't want to, to bring that out, so uh, – I absolutely agree uh, with you. As a matter of fact, this, this ties in prophetically in more ways than one, and it answers quite a lot of questions that people have out there about these, well, these hornets. So back to you, Aaron. Well, the next one on the list is Gabriel. Gabriel, one of the holy angels who presides over paradise and the dragons and the cherubim. Well, Gabriel is number two famous most angel most famous angel in history. Um I don't to be honest, I don't know why he isn't the most famous. He's the one who came to Mary and uh announced the coming of Christ himself. Um so he he has uh, a part to play in the scriptures. He is also in um the uh, Old and New Testament, um, he has to do with the Messiah, 
prophecy. Um, in uh, he explained the Messiah prophecy to, to Daniel eight and nine, and the prophecy of the false Christ in chapter eleven. Um, and uh, as we know, he was part of a f- fulfilling that prophecy by coming and telling Mary of the coming of that she was about to give birth to the Messiah. So he has this connection to him, to, to the, um, to the son of God, um, uh, as, as a herald. So, um, but what we have here is in Enoch is that it says he is a, he is over, presides over paradise. So that tells us which heaven he is, he presides over. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse two to four says that paradise is in the third heaven. So this this is where we know he's at. Um, it says that he's over the cherubim. So perhaps the ch- cherubim. I don't know if it's just saying all the cherubim. Cherubim is a rank, but I'm assuming that this is talking about the cherubim of Eden. Um, Genesis chapter three, verse twenty-four. Um, these are the cherubim that are guarding paradise. In for those of you who don't know, paradise. In is the Greek name for the Garden of Eden. Okay, so it's uh, so this is where the cherub, this is where Eden is right now in the third heaven. Um, and then it says he is over the dragons. Now that's a big question. Um, I put it in the notes here um, that many people think it might have meant to be translated as seraphim. Dragons was supposed to be seraphim because uh, the word seraphim is translated as serpents in Numbers 21, verse 6. But we don't have any proof that this word dragons was supposed to be seraphim or whatever. What do you think about that? Once again, uh, I think that's above our pay grade. Um, We're just not given enough technical data. I mean, I would... Uh, make some well hypotheses to it if I had more to go on. However, the verse well, one thing's for sure. Why did he come to well announce Christ's birth? I think the information that Enoch just gave us actually told us the reason why he's the one that did it. However, <laughs> I just don't have enough to go on with the description from the book of Enoch at hand. So, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that the book of Enoch just gave us the reason why he was elected to announce Christ the King. And not only that, give the messianic prophecies to Daniel. That being said, back to you. Well... Here we're running out of time, and we're coming to the one that is most important to the broadcast. What do you think about that? Well, that that makes fairly good timing. Yeah, we are at the end of this game, that's for sure. Um, We've got a whole lot to cover uh, in a quick uh, amount of time. Let's just get to it. Just, Just give it to us. Both barrels, point blank range. Right square in the chest, Aaron. Okay. This is the final verse. Remiel, one of the holy angels who's appointed by God over those who rise. These are the names of the seven archangels. That is how the chapter ends. But, just so you know, verse 8 is only in one known manuscript of the book of Enoch. And that is uh, Giza number two. Um, so, uh, and it's it's really weird that even the other manuscript of the Greek, the main manuscript of, of the Greek translation, says there's seven archangels. It doesn't name Remiel. It only names six. It says there's seven, but there's six. So this this Remiel was cut out for some reason, and 
there's something about the wording. Unlike all the other angels, it specifically says this. He was appointed by God. Okay? And, um, so, that's what drove me to think, what if this angel replaced some fallen seventh archangel? And, uh, just before we get into that, um, I'm going to go to where he is in the scriptures. His name is encoded in uh, Psalms 86, verse 15. His his full name in Hebrew is actually uh, Jerachmiel, or Yerachmiel. Um, it doesn't have that. Uh, the Yod was removed, is sometimes there, sometimes removed. Um uh the the sound that is also not not that letter was not present in the Greek, so it was cut out, so it just turned shortened into Ramiel. So it so if you wanted to say his actual name you'd say uh Jerachmiel. Okay. Um and it means the compassion of God. Um and it says right here but you, Lord, are, merciful, are a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Right there, I'm going to... Um, um, so, if you were to go and look at it in the Hebrew, it inverts his name. It says Rakum. It says El Rakum. So, it, uh, so where it says the compassion or loving kindness, or the graciousness of God, however you want to translate it. Um, his name is is directly encoded, but it isn't, but the L is taken off and put in front. That happens some a, a lot of times with angels' names in the scriptures, too. Um, you'll, you'll see that. And just, just like, and it has an, an occurrence just like, um, like Theriel, as we mentioned earlier, was, um, like, we can't we we can't translate gift of God as Matthew. So, um, but this is perhaps one of the most important archangels. Um, even though he was cut off, I think it's his trumpet in First Thessalonians four sixteen that which calls the dead to rise. It says the trumpet of an archangel calls the dead to rise. And he, I believe, he is the last um, angel of uh, the seven angels to sound his trumpet. In Revelation 11, verse 15, it says, when he announces the coming of Christ the King, um, he is the resurrection angel. And he's the trumpeteer of Christ. I guess that's the best way to put it. Absolutely. Uh, you literally just gave us what could very well be the proper name of the resurrection angel. Um, <laughs> it having a twin, of course, we have done a broadcast on that. Of course, the Exodus angel and the resurrection angel. But you're right. Literally, the other manuscripts will say um, there are seven archangels and never give his name. But now we have it in the most apropos of places. When you look at the prophetic encoding here in these 17 verses of Psalms 86, it's staring you in the face. And, and let's just go to 17. Show me a sign. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, don't you realize what he just said? What he just, look, the Lord your God told you you're going to get a sign. It's going to be the sign of the Son of Man coming in great glory lord have mercy <laughs> yeah that that's what that's how psalms 86 finishes up show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see and be ashamed oh lord have mercy what did he say what did christ the king say when they see the sign of the son of man that's right ladies and gentlemen their hearts may fail them or some translations say faint lord have mercy don't you realize that everything Aaron just said makes absolute perfect sense? However, you are correct, Aaron. 
Everything was done this way to point to you the simple fact one had fallen. One had to be appointed to take his place. This is the whole reason why we get Leviticus chapter 16. This is the whole purpose for the apocalypse. Because we have to get to the sacrifice for the scapegoat. There's absolutely no way around it. Now, with that in mind, I don't know if we want to cut it short here because we are at the hour mark and we have not relayed any of the celestial information that we were going to because literally you have this play out in the heavens. So, Aaron, we're already at the hour mark. If you want to continue, you may do so. I think I'll continue for a little part and save the rest for later. This is what I'm going to give. You and me have on and off talked about the the uh, authenticity of the Testament of Solomon. And it's a very, very questionable text. You and I looked at it. For a while, and the first time I mentioned it to you, um, Testament of Solomon chapter 33 calls Aziel an archangel. And you said, you said, well, that's the reason for to reject it, because Aziel is a fallen angel. Or Aziel is, well, another name for Azazel. So what if Testament of Solomon was, might have been, ha- had a little consistency? Well, you must say this. Why didn't the other manuscripts give his name? Well, Aaron, everything is beautiful in its time. It's not beautiful at any other time than that. Unfortunately, the end time is the window of opportunity for a great deal information to be delivered. Like it or not. Now, This is really going to throttle people whenever you say, well, if we want to see if this has literal interpretations in the heaven, what does NASA have to say about it? They're not going to like it. So, I mean, you and I just took literally moments. We took moments. I said, which one would it be would be the replacement? You immediately said, I think it will be this. You pulled up the article literally read the very first sentence i'm like that's it that's exactly it of course it has well it has the mark of well christ on it it has the sign of the son of man on it ah yes he was pierced in his side wasn't he aaron so oh stigmata (laughs) yes the most grandiose stigmata in all of creation it's absolutely huge. It dwarfs this planet in size, as a matter of fact. So naturally, boy, I want to pepper my, my statements, but let us remember this. When it was pierced, what issued forth from his side, Aaron? Water and blood. That is correct. Water. Ah, yes. So prophetically, this is off the hook. It's off the hook. Because... Now everything's going to make a rhyme or reason, especially the little illustration I drew for you on the dry erase board. Oh, it makes sense, all right, and it's staring you in the face. So I didn't think we'd be able to cover all of this in one episode. There's just quite simply not enough time. And unfortunately, that's exactly what we do not have access of. God is going to throttle you, ladies and gentlemen. You have to come to grips with this. You're going to deal with the Lord your God face to face. That's what he said. He's the one that starts the tribulation. I mean, literally the entire apocalypse of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 24. (laughs) Many of the Psalms, they all say the same thing. So, he is going to have his day. He really is. He really is going to stand up. And when he does, all of creation 
is going to salute. So, with that in mind, Aaron, we have covered quite a lot of information. This is probably going to be a pretty popular uh, episode, just because we're finally getting to these seven archangels, but we gave it in a way that nobody was quite expecting. But, the Lord our God has already made mandate. Everything is beautiful, only in its time. Aaron, back to you for closing comments. Well, see, we covered all the, um, all the seven archangels. If, um, for all your interested interests, I'm gonna be writing up an article on it. Um, and uh, my dad here is going to be posting it on his Patreon account. Um, definitely look, take a look at it. Um, there might be some more juicy information on there. Um, uh, God bless. Oh, and I might, and I also wanted to add um, an update on the Book of Enoch. I have the um, I have the Greek text has been scanned and uh, gone through, so. Another step closer to publish, publishing. With that, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.